So, um, God wants us to be, oh, really? Did you watch what I just saw? God wants us to be, okay, all right. So last week, that's what we talked about. This is uh, week two of our blessed series, and um, let me tell you what we're going to do this morning, and I'll tell you why um, we need to go back and talk about last week real quick. This morning, we're going to kind of blow the lie, the biggest lie that the church has ever bought. We're just going to blow it up. Is that cool? I like to blow up things. You like to blow up things? Yeah. Going to blow that up. Um, we're going to talk about why grumpy people are lonely. Do you know grumpy people? Are you sitting next to a grumpy person? Why grumpy people are lonely? Um, but before we do that, we've got to talk about last week, okay? Um, Here's, here's what we learned last week. We learned that God wants us, without a shadow of a doubt, to be happy. Now, I want to recap that. And some of you, I could tell when I asked what we learned and you were like scared to say the word happy, I need to make sure I catch you up to speed, okay? Here's how this works. Last week, we looked at the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's in Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, Jesus, nine times in nine verses, used one word. And that word was right there on the screen blessed. He said, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And he went nine times in nine verses, used that word. And in the Greek, that word can mean blessed or it can mean happy. So basically what Jesus was saying was, happy are those who, happy are those who, happy are those who, happy, happy, happy. And you thought Duck Dynasty came up with it first. (laughs) Jesus was saying happy, happy, happy way before those guys were even thinking about growing beards. So last week we talked about the fact that God wants us to be happy. But we also talked about this. A lot of us struggle with that because we're not happy. We struggle with it because we've attached our happiness to things that change. We attach it to a job and then we get fired. We attach it to a person and then they move away. We attach it to a car and then it gets hit by a deer. Theoretically speaking, right? But last week we learned that there's only one place that we can attach our happiness. There's only one place that we can attach our happiness if we're going to stay happy. And it is the cross. Because what Jesus did on the cross will never change. So God proved without a doubt he wants us to be happy. Now we also, and some of you can um, attest to this. We also acknowledged last week that there are times that we don't. We don't feel happy that we go through things and we, you know, like I could be up here saying, God wants you to be happy, but you're sitting right there going, yeah, whatever, dude, like you should hang out with me. So we acknowledged last week, that's true, it's real, and it's so real that we're going to take an entire week next Sunday and talk about what if we're not, what if we don't feel happy? Why do, if God wants me to be happy, then why do we sometimes not feel happy? And, and next week you can invite people to come back. Um, here's what we're going to talk about. There's basically three reasons why we sometimes don't feel happy. It all boils down to this. Sin, situations, and stupid people. Sin, situations, and stupid people. You may know a stupid person. Maybe they didn't come with you this week. We thought about doing invite cards. You know, say, hey, you're a stupid person. Come to church with me, right? You know, that'd be cool. Just invite them. Bring them back next week. People that do things in your life that drive you crazy. They need Jesus. Sometimes we don't, happen, we don't feel happy because of those three things. All next week, that's all we're going to talk about. So if you are in a place like that, or if you know somebody who is literally miserable right now because of stuff that they're going through, they're in a situation, they need to be here next week. 
Because they need to hear what God wants to do in their life when they're going through sin situations or dealing with stupid people. But this morning, this morning we're going to take the time to talk about the one question that every two-year-old, or at least the parent of every two-year-old, should have trademarked years ago. You'd be filthy rich if you had trademarked one word that every two-year-old asked, and that word would be, why? Can you imagine if you had to trademark on that word? Holy cow. Be swimming in money right now. We'd really feel blessed then, wouldn't we? This morning we want to ask this question. If God wants me to be happy, if he wants me to be blessed, why? Why does God want me to be blessed? To answer the question, we're going to do this. Take your Bibles if you've got them. If you're on a phone or an iDevice, this will be easier for you today. We're in Genesis. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to take a few pictures at the life of Abraham. Abraham's a pretty big deal in the Bible. He was a pretty important person. We're going to take a few, just a few snapshots of where he was, and let's just see if we can walk through quickly in his life. Did God want him to be blessed? And if he did, then why? Why did God want to bless Abraham? So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse, we'll start in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, now in your Bibles it's going to say Abram, and I've just said Abraham a couple times, so right now you're thinking, you're an idiot and you're the preacher, there's hope for me, right? The reason I'm saying Abraham and that's Abram in the Bible is because his name was Abram, and then what we're going to read today was such a big deal in his life that God actually changed his name to Abraham. So I'm just going to go ahead and stick with Abraham, is that cool? So I don't confuse everybody any more than I probably just did trying not, I just confused you trying not to confuse you. I have a gift, don't I? Am I good? Are y'all there? Hello? Hello? Do we need to play the happy song again? Okay, well, let's just read the Bible, shall we? So the Lord said to Abram, chapter 12, verse 1, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. So now right away in this verse, let me just talk to the women. If your husband comes home from work and says, hey, baby, and he would say it like, hey, baby, because he's got to butter you up, right? Hey, baby, pack the house up, get a U-Haul, load everything up, because we're moving. I've got a wife. That's not going over well. She doesn't like to pack. She doesn't like to move. Nobody likes to move. But if you're going to move, at least the wife's going to say, I'm not sure I'm on board with this, but where are we moving? Because like if we're moving to Hawaii, we're packing boxes, right? So she asked Abraham, so, okay, like where are we going? Man, if you said to your wife, I have no idea, it's not a good day. We talked last week about not attaching our happiness to external things. If she's attaching her happiness to that, not a good happy day in your household. Men, we don't care, right? Give me a couple college guys, a really busted up van, road trip. We don't have to know where we're going. Somebody said, where are you going? Somewhere. Where's that? Wherever we end up. Wherever this $20 will take us. So you're going to Locust. Fantastic. Guys don't have to, I mean, and women already know this. Guys don't need any directions. We just get in the car and we go. We kind of get in touch with our inner emotions and we feel it. I feel like I'm going the right direction. And the wife's got the GPS going, I feel like you're an idiot. You should pull over and ask directions. This is the wrong way. Guys don't need that. But man, for her, this day, I just want you to understand, that's the way we're starting the story. 
The story of Abraham starts with, I want you to get rid of everything you have and leave where you're comfortable. And I want you to get and go. And just, I don't know where you're, I'm not telling you where you're going. Just go. That's the way it starts. Are you with me? Got that? Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. The God who gave him that command follows it up with this. And I will make you into a great nation. Sounds like things are getting better. And I will bless you. So on a day that doesn't feel too happy because you're packing everything up, you have no idea where you're going, God ties that in and says, if you'll do that, I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. It seems odd that God would call that situation blessed, doesn't it? Except last week we looked at Matthew 5. Do you remember the kind of people that God said was blessed? These are the kind of people that God said, Jesus said in his first sermon, he called these people blessed. He said, the people who are poor, the mourners, the unsatisfied, the persecuted. Those are the people that God said were blessed. I don't know how your life works. I don't know how you think, but I don't read that sentence and think, oh yeah, that feels blessed. To, to leave my home and go where I don't know I'm even going, just a general idea, go that way, does not feel like a blessing. But God said it was. How did, how did he promise to bless Abraham? What did Abraham have to do in order to get that promise? He had to leave it all to get it all. He had to leave it all to get And so will we. Is there stuff in your life? At some point, we have to leave it all in order to get it all. Sometimes we want to get it all. And bring it all, don't we? Because we're Americans and we love Rubbermaid. We have storage units that we pay lots of money for every month and we never even open them. We want to bring it all and get it all. But here God said, no, 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 you, you got to leave it all. If you leave it all, you'll get it all. And so that's what Abraham did. Now, just flip over three more chapters to the right. Genesis chapter 15. Let's just kind of see what's happening. He's on his journey He's hanging out. He's following God. He's trying to be obedient. And God meets him again. Genesis chapter 15. And he says this in in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And he said this. Don't be afraid, Abraham, because I'm your shield, your very great reward. Just stop there and think about last week. We talked about this. We uh, We have to attach our happiness to the cross. It's got to be attached to Jesus and Jesus alone. I love every song we sang this morning. That's exactly what it talks about. We learned that great word last, last week, propitiation, which means that he, he was our propitiation. He appeased the wrath of God on the cross for me, and that will never change. I mean, on my worst day, what's, what is your worst day? My worst day would have been, like, I don't lose everything. On your worst day, he's still appeased the wrath of God for your sin. On your worst day because of the stupid people that do things to you that we'll talk about next week, he still appeased the wrath of God for your sin. Like, nothing you can do to me will ever change that. That's why when, like, we're singing songs like that and I'm standing right there, I get this weird, funky, white guy can't dance dance going. Because I'm just eat up with it. I love it. We start singing about what he did on the cross for me. I mean, I'm happy for you, but for me, nothing can take that away. Even, like, my lack of dancing skills. I'm glad. God didn't look down from heaven and go, I was all with you, buddy, until you start dancing, but now you're on your own. And he loves that. 
He gave it all on the cross. He was the propitiation for our sins. And he says to Abraham right here, man, nothing that happens to you in this life will change this fact. I am your very great reward. I mean, some of us just need to know that today, right? Nothing that's going on in our lives right now changes that, that he's our very great reward. Verse 2, he says, but Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give to me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus? Abraham said, you have given me no children and a servant in my household will be my heir. Do you see what's happening here? So God's saying, look to me for your happiness. Look to me for your blessing. Attach your happiness to what I'm doing for you. And Abraham's going, how can you make me happy when I don't have any kids? Now, it's debatable, right? Those of you that have kids, maybe you're like, hey, Abraham, dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. Life is good, right? He said, I don't even have kids. I've got nothing. And, and what we know about Abraham, if you go to Romans, we won't read it now, he was an old dude. I don't know how you feel as you get older. I don't know a lot of people like in their 60s and 70s and 80s that are saying stuff like this. I just wish we could have another toddler. Like people in their 60s, they would have killed toddlers, don't they? Like pipe down, read a book. I'm three, I can't read. What? What? I, so when you want to be a grandparent, give them all kinds of sugar, send them home, right? Because we don't want to raise kids. We want to settle down. Abraham's an old guy. And God's promising. He's like, I don't have any kids. Like, you've forgotten about me. There was a chance when I was younger I could have had kids. Now I'm old. He's still looking at the external. So this is what God said to him. Verse 4, chapter 15, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man... Your servant will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And God is promising him, and if you'll leave it all, you'll get it all. And so he leaves it all, and here we are three chapters later, and he's become a man of, of influence He's become a man who has begun to, he's got power. He's got a little bit more land. He's got a little bit more cattle. Now he's going to have a kid and life is looking good. He has left it all. And as he journeys, he is being blessed. He left it all and he's starting to get it all. And in, in Genesis chapter 21, verse 2, just jot that down. Isaac is born. That's when he receives his son. He receives the promise from God. So here's, here's what we have Abraham, right? That's a great thing. What happens next is when we see the biggest lie that any of us could ever buy. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. Just go about seven chapters over to the right. Genesis chapter 22 is one of the weirdest, one of the weirdest chapters in the Bible. Um, we oftentimes read weird stuff out of the Bible. Do you do that? Like, do you read the Gospels and see where it says Jesus spit on people's eyes? Like, what do you think of when you see that, right? We usually do this. Oh, Jesus spit on the man's eyes. Oh, sweet Jesus. He spit on the man's eyes. It's weird. I'm okay saying that. It's weird. If you spit in my eyes, we're fighting. Probably. It's weird. If we have a healing service here and somebody walks up and says, I can't see, as the pastor, I'm probably not going, I might, I don't know. I'm not going to say I wouldn't, but I don't think so. It's weird. There's weird stuff in the Bible. 
And as a believer, it's okay to understand. It's okay to say that. We don't have to hide from that. There's some weird stuff here. And this is one of the weirdest chapters in the Bible. And sometimes I try to wrap my head around it. I cannot wrap my head around it. Because in this chapter, God, who promised Abraham that he would give him a child and he would make him great, tells him to kill that son. On the worst days in a Jenkins household, I'm not killing my kids. I don't know how your house rolls. It's just how we roll, right? I'm not murdering my kids. There was not a lot of agreement in the house when I said that. I'm a little scared for your kids, to be honest. But we're still debating it in our house. We talk about it around dinner, you know, like, should we kill them, should we not kill them? I mean, on the worst day, that's not happening at the Jenkins household. God asked Abraham to kill the promise. So let's just pick it up. Chapter 22, verse 15, says this, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. So who's talking here? God. This is God. He's talking to Abraham. And here's what he's saying to him. I swear by myself that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. Now let me just make sure you understand this because I don't want you walking out here thinking God kills people for no reason. He didn't kill his son. You, you, you know that, right? I know we didn't read the whole thing. He didn't kill him. But whatever he did, at some point, as he's bringing that down, that, that knife down, he in his heart, he passed that point of no return. And God, it's not, does that scare you? Does it make, how does it make you feel to know God sees our heart? Like he knows, we can say, oh, I'm all in. He knows when we're really all in, doesn't he? And he knew, Abraham, man, he's, he's not just saying, he's doing it. He's all in. And at some point, when that knife's coming down, God stopped him. An angel stopped him. And so here's what happens in verse, 16, verse 17 and 18. These are the promises that God gives to Abraham because of what he just did or didn't do. He said this, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And right about now, Abraham's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You told me that a couple chapters earlier. Remember we read that? Look up at the skies and you'll see all the stars. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And verse 18 is the one I really want you to get. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All of those verses, those two verses, those are a result of a choice that Abraham made. He chose not to buy the lie that many of us, and especially the American church, are tempted to buy into. And somebody asked me what that is. Go ahead. I'm glad you asked. The lie that we have bought is simply this, that God just wants to bless me. We believe God wants to bless us. We talked about that last week. He wants us to be happy. But when we start to say, he just wants to bless me, that's the lie. A lot of people in church today have bought that lie. Here, here's where, what I learned when I read this. Abraham could have said no to God, couldn't he? <laughs> You're like, I don't know what the proper answer is there. The proper answer is he could have said no to God because we say no to God all the time. Right? He could have said no. He could have actually said, I'm keeping my son. 
But here's what Abraham did. I want you to make sure you, you understand this. Abraham could have chosen God's promise to him over God's promise through him, but he didn't. So many times what we do is we take the very things that God has blessed us with and we hold on to them. We choose the blessing of God to us instead of choosing the blessing of God through us. When we do that, we miss what Abraham learned, that we are blessed to be a blessing. Here's the big idea. Here's, what, here's how I want you to think of it today. God doesn't just want to bless you. He wants to bless through you. He doesn't just want to bless you. He wants to bless through you. And I want to, um, let me ask you this question. How many of you guys play putt-putt? Anybody? It's okay to raise your hand and play putt-putt. I didn't ask if you were good at it, just if you play putt-putt. Make sure I've got you here. Make sure you're really clued in. Um, what's your favorite color ball to get when you go play putt-putt? Just shout it out. Go ahead. All I heard was Carolina blue. I'm praying for you. That's all I heard. I always get Wolfpack reds, the blood of Jesus. So, um, hmm. ha. That should settle the argument, shouldn't it, right there? That settles the argument. So I love, I love playing putt-putt. Um, now, this doesn't happen a lot here at Good O Putto. It should. It's a great place to go. But usually people go get ice cream there. There's not a lot of people on the putt-putt course. But when you go to the beach, right, I go to the beach. I get my kids. We go. We pay too much to play on this really awesome putt-putt course. And always, without fail, we go in the daytime and there's no shade. So we are hot, and you're trying to have fun, but you feel a little bit miserable. Have you ever been in that position, and then you get behind like a family of 10? And they are slow, and they are laughing, and they're talking, and they might look back, and they might see you, and you're like, hello, can we play through? And they say no, or they don't say no, they just don't let you play through. What do you start feeling about that time? I want to punch you right? You're not a happy camper. You're not feeling happy, happy, happy. You're feeling crappy, crappy, crappy. You don't like that. You don't feel good about them. You keep dropping hints like, well, we're done here. Just hoping that they'll clue in and let you go through. I don't play a lot of golf because I'm not good at it. I'm pretty good at putting, which is why I like to play putt-putt. Every now and then I'll play in a tournament because like three people that are really good will invite me to come play. Hey, dude, look, we'll carry you until we get on the green, and then you can putt. Sweet. I've been in tournaments where we were behind slow people, and the people that I was playing with were so mad that they just went ahead and shot through. They didn't care. They just, they, they'd tee off on a par three while that group was putting. They didn't yell four or anything. They just hit the ball, and we just watched the ball like land right there while the people were trying to putt. It's frustrating when you can't play through. What I want you to remember is this, when we don't allow God to play through us, we frustrate the world around us. He, he, he wants to bless people, and he's chosen to bless them through us. And when we don't let God play through, we frustrate people around us. Proverbs 21, 13 answers the question why grumpy people are lonely the simple answer is nobody likes to be around grumpy people right
If I was a good pastor, I could find Proverbs, could I? Oh, there it is. Proverbs 21, 13. It says this. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. And the minute that we start to say that blessing is for me and nobody else, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. I, I really, I told the early service, I'd love to start some kind of campaign where we can make bumper stickers and like static stickers and clings and all kinds of stuff. And just instead of, instead of Christians saying I'm blessed, what if we just start saying I'm blessing? I'm, I'm just pouring it through me. I'm just, a, I'm just letting God bless through me. It's not about me being blessed. It's about me being a blessing. This proverb says clearly, man, if, if we see, if we hear the cries of those around us and we don't answer, then someday we're going to need help. And we're going to cry out and they're not going to answer us. I don't know how much history you know about um, Hitler and the Jews and the Holocaust, but back in the day when they would load up Jews in the boxcars and they would take them down the tracks to be killed, those train tracks were right next to churches. And so as they were having church, because they did not know what to do about the cries coming from those boxcars, instead of asking God, hey, what can we do? Instead of stepping out and trying to help, they just cranked the volume up inside the church so that as they came by, they actually had it, they had it down to a science. They knew like 11, 15, that thing's coming by, crank it up. And they would crank the volume up on the inside of the church so that they wouldn't have to hear the cries of the people going to be slaughtered. That's what Proverbs is talking about. At some point, if we live our lives like that, we will become grumpy, ingrown people, and we will be lonely. Nobody wants to help a pe people like that. Nobody wants to be near people that would turn the volume up so they don't have to hear people that need help. God's plan is not just to bless you. That's the lie that Satan wants us to buy. He wants to bless through you. He wants to play through. A couple more verses, and then we'll land this thing. John 3.16, you know this one, right? Most of us learn this one. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And here's what I want you to get. The DNA of our father is generosity. Do you see that? He loved the world, so he gave. And if his DNA is generosity, then if we become his children, what will be in our DNA? <laughs> this is an easy one. Generosity, right? That's why Parker looks like me. That's why Will looks like his mom. I mean, he's a guy, but he looks like his mom. Tough crowd. Tough, tough crowd. They don't have to try to. They just do because they they've got our genes. I mean, if God is a generous, giving father and he redeems us at the cross then we become generous, giving children. So much so that John 3.16 says that because God loved, he gave. 1 John 3.17 goes so far as to say this, if you don't give, you don't love God. Now think about that. When God's writing the Bible through men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he, he comes on 1 John 3.17, and God goes, I want to include a verse that will help every Christian know if they are, in fact, a child of God. So let's, 
let's, if, if God, I know God didn't do this, so don't like hold me to it. But if God called like everybody together and said, let's, let's have a meeting. What, 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 is, what are the things that like Christians would look like? Let's we'll make up a list. So they go to church, check. They give, we want 10%, but eh, they give something, check. They laugh at Paul's corny jokes, check. Double check. They raise their hands in worship when Phil asks them to, even if they don't really feel like it, check. They read the Bible, not just in January, but all the way through to April, check. None of that made the list. You can read it for yourself, 1 John 3, 17. None of that made the list. You could do all of that. And according to 1 John 3, 17, you are not a, fo- a follower of Jesus. Because 1 John 3, 17 says that if we do not give to those in need, we do not have the love of Christ. Generosity, that's the whole thing. That's the entire message. That if God is a giving God, if he loves and so he gives, then if we love, we'll also give. We will let God play through us. And here's what's going to happen in our city. I love this. And the first service loved it too. And they're not my favorite, but I'm just letting you know. No pressure for y'all, right? If we live like that, do you know what's going to happen? God will become known in our city because of our generosity. Let me make sure that I say that clearly. The way we live and treat other people affects how they see God. Do you know that? Like if you're a neighbor to somebody and they always need to borrow stuff and you always say no, if they found out that you came to the gathering and that you were a Christian, they might be like, what? They're a Christian? They're the stingiest people I've ever met. They go to the gathering. Check that off. The churches will try. But on the other hand, if you're a generous person, if you allow God to bless you so that he can bless through you, and they find out that you're a Christian, they'll go, I always kind of thought they were. I always felt like there was something about them. Oh, they go to the gathering? I'm not really into church, but like, I love orange walls with like maps on it. I'm checking that place out. And they're generous, cool. Our generosity or lack of it affects how people see God. 2 Corinthians 9-11. You've probably seen this verse a number of times. It's above the boxes on the wall where you give. It's on the offering envelopes in front of you. And it says this, you will be made rich in every way. And let me just make sure you understand, when it says every way, I know that it's talking about money here, but when it says every way, God wants to make you rich in every single way. We already know that that the band is rich in musical talent, don't we? And it would just take maybe pulling a couple of you up here on stage and giving you a guitar and saying go to find out that you're not probably rich in musical talent. Hello, American Idol tryouts, right? I, I, some of us are rich in teaching. Some of you are rich in hospitality. This week when community groups kick off, people will sit in your living room and be like, I like it here. 
But some others of you, if they went to your living room, they'd be like, awkward, when can I leave? All of us, we're all gifted. We're all blessed in all kinds of ways. Sometimes it's easy to hear a message like this and go, oh, it's about money. No, it's about all of it. It's about money. Yes, it's about everything. It's about everything God has given to us. He wants to pour through us. And sometimes we just can't, we can't give. We don't have the money to give. But there's always something that we can give. There's always a way that we can be generous. And he says here, God blesses us and he'll be make, make us rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. When we're generous, people are attracted to us. And when we're stingy and grumpy, they're not. And here's what generosity does. Generosity influences culture. Let me tell you two quick stories just to um, help you understand that. The early church, we talked about this when we did our Acts series. The early church, they were, they were looked down on. They were the lowest of the low in culture. And something began to happen in culture. Suddenly people that were in positions of power started to notice the church. It became a little more popular to become a Christian. And, and people have studied this like smarter people than me, right? What, what changed all that? What made it suddenly become more in to be a Christian? And here's what they found. There were plagues in the city. There were people who were sick in the city. And it was such a big plague that if you contracted that disease, you're probably going to die. And so all the people that were pagans, all the people that did not believe in Jesus, here's what they did. They left their sick family members behind and they left the city so they wouldn't get sick and die. Now that's like me finding out that Parker, Will, or Sydney or Wendy have a bad disease and they're going to die. And me being so afraid that I would die as well that I just leave them there to die and I leave. I, I just get out. I go to Charlotte. Party hard in Charlotte, right? Well, my family's dying. That's what they did. But something happened with those people that were behind. Somebody, some group of people stayed behind on purpose to take care of those dying people who were their enemies and persecuted them, and it was the church. The church became marked as the most generous people in that culture that it began to change the perception of the culture when they thought about the church. And suddenly people were like, I don't know what you have, but I want that. Whatever it is that you have that makes you want to stay and, and risk death for somebody that you don't even like, don't even know, they don't like you, I want that. Because the Christians would say, well, we're staying here because if they die without Jesus, they're going to spend eternity without Jesus. We want to make sure that they live so we can tell them about Jesus. That generosity won over a culture. Theology doesn't win over a culture. It's important, but generosity will win over a culture. I, I don't know if you like chocolate. I'm a fan. I love chocolate. Um, I could eat like Hershey's Kisses like this just over and over and over again. If they could um, invent, if they're listening to this, by the way, um, Hershey's company, if you could invent these so I don't have to unwrap them before I eat them, that'd be awesome. And, and when I do unwrap them, what I do is like, I just fold up the aluminum and I just, the next one I put the aluminum around that and the next one. Do you ever do that? You know, like this big aluminum ball because you ate a whole bunch of, it's just me that does that. Fantastic. Okay. So, Mel and Linda went up to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and they came back. We were hanging out talking, and, and they told me the story of Milton Hershey. I didn't know the story. It's a great example of how generosity can change a culture. 
And how not attaching our happiness to external things. If we just attach it to what Christ is doing, it changes everything. So here's a man who his whole, he just wanted to be, he wanted to make, make candy. So he tried twice with these businesses. He tried to launch these candy companies and they both failed. So he's bankrupt twice. He finally kind of hits it big making caramel of all things. And he sells that caramel company, I think for a million dollars in the 1900s, early 1900s. Which is a ton of money now, but was a ton of money back then. So he's kind of starting to make it big. He's got a little bit of money. He takes that money and he starts the Hershey Company. And then somewhere along the way, he meets this lady named Catherine. They fall in love. They want to start a family. And they find out that they can't have kids. Sounds like Abraham, doesn't it? Childless. Lots of money, no children. And, and what I want you to understand is twice he fails in his business. He meets a woman. They fall in love. They get married. So it's down. It's back up. And then they can't have kids. And it's down again. I don't know how you would be in that situation. We tend to get like, I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm happy. I'm sad. But... They didn't quit. And then when his wife died, she was so taken. She wanted so much to influence kids. They said, if we can't have kids, we're going to make, we'll have our own kids. So they took orphans and they built a school just so the orphans could come to school. And they started pumping in money, more money and more money from Hershey's chocolate into that school. So much so that it, what, was, what was worth had a, a fund, a foundation had millions in it then, it's now worth billions today. All because a man and a woman decided to do a little bit more than just keep what they had. They weren't content to say God has blessed us. Back in that day, it was normal for factories to open and then build like really bad houses around them and pay their workers next to nothing. But Hershey said, that's not going to be enough for us. We're going to actually build a community. We're going to build parks. We're going to have the best schools. We're going to have the best houses. We're going to pay our workers a great wage. People are going to want to come to Hershey and work for us. And that's what they did. And they took over the candy industry. When, when she died, when he could have, again, just wrapped it all up and sat back and just loved his money, he took all the stock that he had in Hershey's and he wrote it over to the foundation to run that school. The school still exists today. Every time you buy Hershey's, a little bit of what you paid goes to that foundation to run that school. See, that's, that's got to be why chocolate tastes so good, right? Because I think in some way that only God understands, there's something attached to this. There's generosity attached to Hershey's chocolate. I don't have stock in the company. I don't make any more money if you buy it. I'm just telling you there's something about it. When a man says, I want to be that generous, there's something about chocolate. And here's what generosity does. When you leave today and you're heading out and one of our guys will be at the door with that basket and you just reach in there and get you some Hershey's Kisses, you'll walk out in the car, unwrap it, pop it in your mouth. I do know this, if you get one or two, you're going to probably fold that thing up and you're going to wrap it up into the other aluminum because I mentioned to make an aluminum ball and you're going to want to try that. But when you eat it, you're going to smile. Unless you just hate chocolate. I have a special prayer section for you. When you eat this, you're going to smile. What is it about that? What is it about generosity that has that effect on people? 
And what could happen in our city if we were those kind of people? Here's what I'm calling you to be. I am calling you, the gathering, to be the most generous church in Stanley County, bar none. To give like no other church gives, so that through us, men might praise God. I I didn't get an exact number. I was trying to look back and see how much we've given, how much you've given through this church to missions, to the Pregnancy Resource Center, to Homes of Hope, to Community Inn, just different, different places around. Money that's in, it's in India with Koshi, it's in Peru with Phyllis, it's in France, it's in Jerusalem. I think in three years, we've given well over $100,000 in missions. Three years. It's amazing to me. That's the kind of stuff that we, we want to be known for that. We want people to say, I, I don't know everything about the gathering. They got something with orange. But I tell you what, those people, man, they love to give. They'll give you whatever they have. And, and if they don't have it, they'll find some way to say yes. And, and like I said, there are times that we have to say no. There will be times that people will ask you to help them. And you will have to say no. But when you have to say no, you can also find a way to say yes. Somebody asks you for your car. Like, you want my car. Like, you want my car or you want to borrow it? No, I want, I want your car. I need your car. Can I have your car? I can't really give you my car right now. But I can give you a ride somewhere. I can't really give you my car right now. But, hey, can I help you find a rental for a month? There's always a way to say yes. And I'm praying that this church, we already are. I want us to be known for that. Because the way that we are generous with others affects the way they will see a generous God. And I want to call you to that. Because the greatest lie is this, that God just wants to bless me. And the minute that we say no more, God, I know it's a weird rhyme, but to stop the flow, just say no. I mean, the minute we start saying no, God says, I can't trust you with, I can't flow through you. Bless rhymes with yes. Woe rhymes with no. Man, let's be a church that says yes, however we can, to bless people. Do you know that God has given you the resources in your life, whether it's money, whether it's singing, whether it's compassion, whatever it is. For some of you, it's tons of energy. He's given that to you because he wants to give it through you to the people around you. And my prayer is that you would find all kinds of chances this week to say yes to the people around you that desperately need your generosity.